Welcome to 321 iRelaunch. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of iRelaunch, the industry leader in career reentry resources. In each episode of 321 iRelaunch, we'll be speaking with guest experts in the career reentry space to help make your transition back to work smooth and successful. Today, we're talking about the relauncher resume. Our guest today is Tamara Dowling, Senior Writer and Director of SeekingSuccess.com, a resume and social media profile writing service. Tamara has written hundreds of career-related articles and has contributed to six career books. She has also written thousands of resumes for executive, high-tech, and management clients, and has won several awards for resume writing including awards specifically for relauncher resumes. We work closely with Tamara to provide resume and LinkedIn profile advice to relaunchers. Hi, Tamara. Thank you for being with us today. Hi, it's great to be here. I'm excited to talk with you. Yes, we're very excited to talk with you as well uh, because resume writing is so challenging for any job seeker, but especially for the relaunchers who have excellent professional experience, but don't know how to deal with the career gap on the resume. And we really want to understand that in some detail today and talk about special situations uh, that are uh, affecting relaunchers that relate to the resume. So I want to dive into one of the questions that we get asked uh, frequently, uh, and that is that people are advised to now in, in today's job search world um, to have separate resumes for to each job that they're applying to, that they should be customized for each job. And so people get concerned about having these different resumes out there, but only having one LinkedIn profile. So we were wondering about your thoughts on how do you reconcile the two? Sure. Um Resumes are most effective when they're focused on a goal, so a candidate would have one resume version for each career goal. So for a particular opportunity, the candidate would customize a resume. In most cases, this would involve just making modifications to the profile, which is the summary statement that opens the resume, and the core competencies section, which also is sometimes called an areas of expertise section, which follows that profile. So to determine how to customize your resume, we advise candidates to review target job postings or an employer's website to get inspiration. Um, basically, you want to know what what the employer is looking for your values to, to their job requirements. So, so that's how you do the, the resume. So you might have um, you might have multiple resume versions. But with LinkedIn, you have one LinkedIn profile. So on LinkedIn, you have one profile that everyone sees. So the way to handle that is you, you craft your summary statement on LinkedIn to cover your, you know, possibly two or three job targets. And is that the case if you are looking in two different areas? Like, let's say you are trying to make a decision which way you want to relaunch your career and you really... Your background is um, in architecture, uh, but you're also um, a graphic designer, uh, and you would consider taking jobs in either area. 
Is there a way to unify that on a LinkedIn profile in a summary or elsewhere so people who were looking at you as candidate, as a candidate for either graphic artist work or um, texture would feel that it was relevant? Yes. What I, what I normally do is, you know, we spend a lot of time with, with our, our clients. And so I talk with someone and I get to know get to know them so that we can identify a, a common um, theme to their to their career. So sometimes it, you're right. Sometimes a career path could seem so very different, but we try to find something that unifies it, and we craft a summary that tells a story, puts it all together, so that they, when someone's looking at it, they would seem like a good candidate for for both goals. Got it. Thank you. Uh, let me ask you another question that has become more of a recent issue because, um, you know, here at iRelaunch, one of the things that uh, we work really hard on are uh, working with employers to create re-entry internship programs. So uh, these are programs typically for people who have taken career breaks of two years or more, and they come back into a 12-week or some kind of a short-term internship program and then either they get a permanent role after that or they don't and then they move on uh, to continue their job search uh, uh, not at the same company where they did the internship. But because these internship programs are now getting very specific in terms of eligibility requirements, they will sometimes say you have to demonstrate you've had a co complete career break for two years or more and then for other non-internship uh, positions that you might be applying for, you might intentionally want to uh, illustrate you know, that during your career break you were in volunteer work that was relevant to your career goals or you took a particular course um, or you did some paid work, some paid part-time work or occasional consulting work. So, how do you recommend people reconcile those two situations? Again, this this would, in most cases, would require two different resumes. One resume would be targeting the reentry programs. And so for that resume, we recommend being very straightforward and having a career break statement. And the career break statement would be under the experience header on your resume, and it would be placed in the actual break. And so it would, it would actually say career break, you know, it might say career break and with the dates next to it in parentheses, we might say career break and then say, you know, 2004 to 2000, you know, and 10. Or if it's, if they're still in the break, we might say, you know, 2004 to 2016. And then underneath it, a very brief statement um, communicating that they chose to take the break. So we say something like chose to take a career hiatus to to raise children or care for an ill parent or whatever it might be and keep it short and sweet. For the other situation when you're um, looking for positions and you know in the broader market out you know not a reentry program um, we would get to know the, again we get to know the the, the client who to learn about you know what they've done during that break and if they have significant experience we we might place it in that section let's say it's you know it could be unpaid work it could be um, consulting or um, part-time work and so we could put that information right into the experience section 
Um, I, I just want to point out um, to our listeners that uh, if you've had significant paid work during your career break, if it's been regular consulting work or a part-time job, it's quite possible that you just might not be eligible for um, one of the internship programs uh, because of that um, pretty continual work that you've had um, while you've been on a career break, even though you've considered a career break. Um, it's kind of up to the companies in, in, in um, certain situations how they're going to interpret that work experience that you have, but you do have to be open to the possibility that it will disqualify you for those reentry internship programs. And then you would be looking elsewhere to companies that would hire you directly and outright into a position without um, participating in the intern a formal internship program. Okay, so one thing, Tamara, that you were just touching on is how you portray certain types of experience, maybe unpaid experience, um, on your resume. And I want to talk about how that looks on the LinkedIn profile. Uh, so if you, would you ever put career break on your LinkedIn profile? Um, or alternatively, if you did substantive volunteer experience and it's directly related to your career goal, uh, so, you know, for example, if you were going into construction management and you managed a weekend build for Habitat for Humanity, then that's something you'd probably want to have um, in the main body of your LinkedIn profile because it's so relevant. But that's just my opinion, and I was wondering if you had a different opinion in terms of where to put that kind of experience. Yes, and, and this is one of those situations, and, and I think you'll find that I say this a lot, is it's every client is different, and so we talk to them and understand their history and their goal to, to come up with the, the best strategy. Um, however, there, there are basically two, two ways to do it. W one way is to place that, that information into the experience section. So that would be, as you said, if it's really substantial. Um, you know, maybe they, they held a board seat and they, uh, or maybe they, um, it was practically a, a, a full-time position even though it was unpaid and they had significant responsibilities that are similar to their, their, their goal. So their, what they did supports their goal. In that case, it's a great idea to include it in the experience section. Let's say that it's um, experience that's, you know, still it's still great to volunteer, but let's let's say it doesn't rise to the level of, of um, you know, something that supports your career goal or or um, uses you know your your best skills. Um, then that's something that you can place under um, the volunteering section on LinkedIn. Um, there's a project section. There's a cause where you can store that information. So so that's one possibility. Uh, another another thing is if you if you have, if you're applying, you mentioned the reentry programs. If you're applying for a reentry program and you send a resume that has um, your career break statement and you don't have your unpaid and your, your volunteer work in the experience section, but then you go to your LinkedIn page, you want that you want that to be aligned. So you want to make sure that if you put your unpaid work in the experience section on your um, on your resume, you do that on your LinkedIn and, and vice versa, because as you said before, it could disqualify you. So if someone someone looks at your resume, you can assume they're going to be looking at your LinkedIn page. That's a very good point. Thank you for uh, underscoring that. 
Um, that, now, I want to move to a different topic. Um, this is another one that comes up. Uh, people talk about different types of resume formats. The chronological resume, where you simply list um, all of your experience in reverse chronological order. Uh, the uh, functional resume, where you might pick and choose um, from certain areas of your background and highlight those on your, on your resume. Um, not necessarily in chronological order. And then what's been called the hybrid resume, where you have some sort of highlighting of certain experience, um, probably on the top half of the resume, but you still list somewhere on there uh, a reverse chronological listing of, of your experience. Uh, we've heard from recruiters that they really hate the uh, functional resume because they have to spend time piecing together someone's work history, and if they have to spend too much time on that, they'll just toss the resume. So I wanted to um, know about your thoughts on those three different types of resumes, and especially assuming that the uh, functional resume is, is not going to be chosen as an option, what do you think about the hybrid resume, and what types of things should, should you pull out to feature on, on, on the top part of the resume, and do you do that through bullet points or text, or how do you do it? Okay. Um, I definitely agree that the functional resume is no longer appropriate um, for the reasons that, that you mentioned. So, so that leaves us with the, the reverse chronological and the hybrid. Um, both of those formats are, are generally accepted, and I recommend them both, but we will decide based on you know, the client situation. Both of those formats start with a really strong profile statement, and that's generally in a narrative format as opposed to bullets. Um, I think it's best to keep it to you know four, five lines at the most, and it should tie in with um, the needs of the employer. So it's it's based on what you offer, not what you want. So it's it's a profile of your value as opposed to an objective statement. Also, both formats generally have either an areas of expertise section or a core competency section. It's basically the same thing with with you know a different different heading. And that's a place where you store keywords. Um, it's, it's again your top value, the, your, um, your job skills that you offer. And that's for all across all industries and occupations. It's very helpful both when your resume is being scanned by an applicant tracking software or when it's read by a human reader. So, so both, both resume formats start with those and then they differ after that. The reverse chronological heads right into experience you know, and details the experience, just as it says, you know, most recent first and earliest last, generally showing, you know, um, recent history. And the hybrid is where we can, we can play around a little bit. So let's say your early experience is, is due next. And in the middle, you, you kind of went off and did something different. So you want to highlight that early experience. You want that on page one instead of page two. So that's where you could use a career highlight section. And you can bring in, you know, maybe five bullet points from, you know, the top of, you know, spanning your entire career. That's most relevant. Um, some people will do, um, you know, like in, in finance, you might have like transactions, like a, highlights of transactions. Um, different industries ask for different things. Um, high tech, you might want to feature your certifications up top um, before you get into your experience. So the main thing is that top 
half of the first page that that's your the money section of your resume that's where you want to that's where you want to show your value then after that that's when you back it up with your experience and your education and so forth um, and your skills inventory to, you know to, to prove those things great uh, let me just ask you a couple of details about some of the remarks you just made so I really like that concept of career highlights as um, the the way you're labeling that section of the resume. I like that language a lot. So I just wanted to emphasize that in case people didn't hear it first time around. Um, I wanted to ask you a question about um, the like high tech for people who are computer scientists or computer engineers, that certain programming languages um, should, I, I feel that those should really be up top because I know employ certain employers are looking for uh, people that have competencies in some of these um, languages like Python or R. And if you have that competency, it should be really uh, easy to spot and, and close to the top of your resume. Right. Um, technology resumes, um, you're right. You need, to, you need to get across that the, the skills. So, so the main thing is to identify the skills next job as opposed to a history of everything you know because from for many technologists who've been around for you know even 10 years that could be a page right so you want to study the job postings understand your target job and what those requirements are and those are the skills you would feature on the top of the page and let me ask you one detail about what you said on this, this profile section on the top you said four to five lines which is different than four to five sentences is that correct correct that's correct. Line, lines okay. on the page. I just wanted to um, highlight that as well. And then as long as we're on uh, this topic, what do you think, you know, we hear two pages, but not longer than two pages for a mid-career professional. Uh, does that sound like the prevailing wisdom? Two pages is is good for, for most candidates. Um, someone, an entry-level person with little experience um, can probably get away with a one-page resume because they don't have as much to share, but most professionals, it's two pages. Um, sometimes with, with um, people in technology or people with a lot of um, uh, credits to list, like a lot of presentations and publications, um, you know, those tend to be three pages. So what we do is we, we you know, kind of assess the information we have to work with. And if it's going to be longer than three pages, um, and it's not a scientific or an academic CV, um, then we can create an addendum. For example, some people have, um, you know, case studies they want to share if they're a consultant, or maybe some people have like a transactions list, things like that where it'd be too much. If we put it on a resume, it might be four pages. So we hit the highlights in the resume, and then we can always create an addendum to the resume, a separate document um, to go into that great detail. You just mentioned CV. Can you talk about the difference between a resume and a CV? And um, are there, does that have to do with publications? And um, are there certain professions that absolutely require a CV and others where you would never want to use one? Yes. Um, well, there are two different types of CV. So um, one CV is, um, one category is the academic slash scientific CV. And another is CV where, um, in some countries, they, they call a resume a CV, but, it, but it's a resume. So I'll talk about the ones that are the, the academic scientific CV. 
and and yes they are different they're the same in that they start with a profile because you want to put your resume or your CV into context and and often we include in areas of expertise um, the difference with a CV is is that you have oftentimes in academia and, and in the field of science you have so many publications research projects um, posters patents all these things and you know it's not unusual for someone to have a 12-page formal CV in those fields mm -hmm. Got it. Um, that's that's very helpful. Thank you. And the other um, uh, comment that you made that I wanted to just dive in a little bit deeper on is um, these automatic tracking systems for resumes. So um, when people upload their resume to an online um, resume portal, do they upload it in a PDF form to sort of make sure that the formatting is locked in, or do they upload it in a non-PDF form because that somehow helps with the keyword search piece? That that's a that's a great question because misinformation is out there about using a, a, PD, a PDF resume, and actually um, the ATS it's called ATS and it's applicant tracking system or applicant tracking software many of them cannot read a PDF it comes across as a graphic therefore it's dumped and I've had clients say I've sent so many resumes out I'm getting little response or no response and we find out they're using a PDF and they resubmit with a Word document you know and they start to get a response it's simply because they're being mm -hmm. booted so, so definitely don't use a PDF in your job search unless um, the employer or recruiter specifically requests a PDF or says that they can accept a PDF because you risk being booted from that applicant tracking software system. Is that new? Because I thought they used to tell you to submit a PDF because otherwise the formatting could get really messed up. It, it is new. Um, you know, P ATS has been around for, for a while, um, but... It, it wasn't prevalent, but now it's so common. Um, I don't have the stats in front of me, but it's it's very co large employers. You can expect it. Recruiters, you can expect it, and most mid-size because ATS is very affordable now for companies of all sizes, and it saves so much time. So you can expect that they're using it now. Some of the some of them are sophisticated and can read a PDF, but what I say is why risk mm -hmm. it because you don't mm -hmm. know. So it's better to be safe and have a nice clean Word document. So there's two different ways you would submit your resume. Um, and you, obviously you'd follow the instructions carefully. And if they ask you to upload, you would upload a Word document. If they ask you to copy and paste, then that's when you use your plain text formatted document. Ah, okay. That's also really good to know. Um, all right, so let's move on. This is probably gonna be our last question because we're wrapping up soon. But, um, well, actually, it's the second to the last because I have one additional question I want to ask you at the very end. But um, it has to do with showing your dates of graduation uh, because our population um, can be, you know, people in their 40s or 50s, um, sometimes even older. People are concerned about uh, should I uh, include the graduation dates on my resume because automatically people will know how old I am. And I guess a corollary to that, I, and I don't know whether you have an opinion on this, is do you put your picture in your LinkedIn profile, um, at also potentially giving away your age if you're concerned about ageism, which is, I should say, a totally separate topic, and uh, I'm hoping uh, we'll do a podcast on ageism as well. So anyway, what's your opinion, um, Tamara, on the dates of graduation piece? Okay. 
so for, for education, if you are a recent graduate, and you know, let's say in the last five years, you show your graduation date. And the reason is you need to explain why you have limited history or no history. So absolutely for a recent graduate. After that, it's, it's, not, it's not required, it's not helpful. So after that, you, you don't show a, a date for your graduation. Now some people may say, well then how does someone know that I actually earned that degree? The answer is, is simple. You just make sure that you format it properly on your, on your resume. So you would start with your, the name of the university, the location of the university. The next line, spell out your degree. Again, that could be a keyword. So you want to spell out, you know, master of science. And then you can master of science. Some people use colon, some people use comma, and then you put your field of study. And that indicates that you earned that degree. If you have not earned the degree, there's there's a whole other discussion on that, but there's other, you want to make sure you're always forthright. So if you didn't earn the, the degree, you would, um, you could put coursework and list your key courses, um, but if you earn the degree, um, spelling it out that way is sufficient. So wait, let me just um, repeat this one more time. You're saying that if you have been out for over five years, that short amount of time, you would at that point stop putting graduation year on your resume. Right, because it's no longer necessary. Um, because the reason you, the reason a, a date is put on the resume, everything on the res, a resume is a marketing document. So everything you place on there is is to market you to position you for that target. So um, if you if you are um, if you have experience. Um, if you've been out there for more than five years, it's not necessary to put the, the year for your graduation. It, it's it's a standard now. And it, in the past, it wasn't. So this is something that's become a standard, I would say, in, in the past five or ten years. And how do you handle that on your LinkedIn profile? On LinkedIn, you have a choice. There's a drop-down menu where you select the, the graduation, or the, actually the years that you're there. And um, if you already have your education you know, set up on your LinkedIn page. The last time I checked, it doesn't allow you to go back and remove it. So you have to remove that entry, remove that education from your LinkedIn page, start over, enter it again, and then this time, don't select a date from that drop-down menu. Okay. Wow. I'm glad I asked. I didn't realize that, that that's what you had to do. Um, okay, so we're heading into the very final minutes of our podcast, and Tamara, I wanted to ask you if you had a favorite piece of relaunch advice, even if it repeats something that we already talked about during this podcast. Okay, well, actually, I I, I don't think it it's repetitive, but um, having having worked with a, a lot of people reentering for various reasons over the years. I find that the first conversation I have with the clients is they're they're very um, defensive about it. They feel they feel almost guilty for having taken a break, and so they come across defensive when they share their history with me. So I always encourage uh, my clients to to come out with a, a a bold, strong launch, you know, relaunch, and. That's what we try to do. We don't come across in a defensive way on our resume, our LinkedIn, and in our communication. You know, we're, we're proud of our entire history, and we promote ourselves that way. That's great advice. And we say even carry that same mindset and approach into your interview. You know, when someone asks you about your career break, you 
don't apologize, you acknowledge it, and then you move on to why you're the best person for the job. So it's very consistent um, to also be um, have that same mind mindset when you're creating your resume. Thank you, Tamara, for joining us today. Thank you. I really enjoyed the time. It was great to have you. Now, be sure to visit us at irelaunch.com in order to get the most important tools and resources for returning to work. And for more information about Tamara Dowling or Seeking Success, you can go to irelaunch.com and go to the top part where it says Information for Relaunchers, and you'll see a drop-down menu and go to Resources, and then you'll be able to access the special landing page that Seeking Success has set up for members of the iRelaunch community. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at info at irelaunch.com and be sure to visit our website, irelaunch.com.